0: Amen. Good morning. Yes, you may have a seat. Good to see everybody today. Uh, I know we have some visitors, some guests today. I've, we haven't met, I'm Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. Our lead pastor Kyle is uh, taking a little bit of time off, but man, it's just been a great morning. It's a beautiful day outside and uh, it's good to be here. We, you know, we get to be here today. We get to be here and worship God together. And so um, I, I as I was thinking about our message uh, this week and thinking about our, the passage that we're going to look at, um, I, I was thinking when I was maybe a preteen, I went through this prove it stage where everything, was, my response to everything was, well, prove it, right? Anybody else go through, through, through a stage like that? Raise your hand, anybody? Just me? All right, one, all right, one or two? Okay, that's, that's great. Um, so like everything was just prove it. Some of you, maybe you're still that way, um, but, and I remember one time I, I was at this, my friends and I were, okay, I spent my childhood in this little town, it was once a little town, called Pflugerville, Texas, P-F-L-U-G. A lot of people haven't even, a lot of people from Texas haven't even heard of Pflugerville, Texas, but ironically, Pastor Jeannie also spent her childhood in Pflugerville, Texas. But Pflugerville had this big German population, and every year they would have the, the Pflugerville Deutschenfest. right? I can't, God bless you, Gesundheit. Um, Uh, The Pflugerville, in fact, I'll tell you a funny story about the Deutschen Fest. This has nothing to do with anything. Um, When I was a freshman in college in Columbia, Missouri... So, uh, some friends of mine and I, we went to this club and there was this girl wearing a t-shirt that said Pflugerville Deutschen Fest. And I, and I remember having the shirt when I was a little kid and I was so excited. We're like eight or 900 miles from Pflugerville, Texas. And this girl is wearing this Pflugerville Deutschenfest shirt. And I went up to her and I said, are you from Pflugerville? And she said, no, I got this at the Goodwill. But i was telling somebody that story recently and they said maybe she was from pflugerville she just didn't want to talk to you (laughs) thanks in 30 years i hadn't even thought about that appreciate it so anyway i told you that had nothing to do with anything but there was this one year where like at the deutschen fest they would always like at the end they would always have this dance there was this this basketball court concrete basketball court in the middle of the park and so they'd have a live band. And so this one year when I was in this Prove It stage, there was, you know, the band was, they were warming up and they were getting ready to start this dance. And some friends of mine and I, we were just kind of playing or messing around, hanging out in the middle of this, of this court that was about to become a dance floor. And this guy came over. I mean, the way I remember it, he had to be like six, five, 300 pounds, right? I mean, this really big dude, I'm sure he wasn't that big because I think he was only a few years older than me, but that's how I remember him. And so this big dude came up, you know, had cowboy hat boots big old dude and he and he was like he said hey you guys need to go somewhere else and I said says who and he said says me and I said you don't have a right to tell us that and he said yeah I do and you know what I said prove it and he said some words I can't say come over here and I'll prove it and I looked him right in the eye and I said no that's okay we'll go somewhere else (laughs) Wasn't looking for violence, wasn't looking for violence, right? So, But, but that, I remember going through this stage. Everything was prove it, prove, prove it. Well, today we're going to look at a guy who had a prove it mindset. We're continuing our, our series called 40 Days After Jesus. Uh, for, he, there were 40 days between his resurrection and when he ascended into heaven. And so we're looking at some of the encounters that people had with him in, during that 40 days. And today we're looking at somebody named Thomas. Now, if you've been around the church a while, how, what do we normally call Thomas? Doubting Thomas. I think Thomas gets a bad rap, and we're going to talk about that um, this morning. But yeah, we call him Doubting Thomas. But before we look at his post-resurrection story, whenever I look at Thomas, I like to go back a little bit, a little bit earlier in John's Gospel because there's this little snapshot we get of Thomas that I think sheds a lot of light on the post-resurrection story. And so we're going to actually start in John chapter 11. Jesus has just found out that his friend Lazarus is sick. This is the same Lazarus that a few days later he's going to raise from the dead. But it says when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. That's where Lazarus was. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back. So the disciples are saying, hey, Jesus, we go back there. You might die, and by the way, we might die too. How about we not go back there? So Jesus says some things, and a few verses down, he says, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe but let us go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, that means twin. It just occurred to me this week when I was preparing this message, I don't think a twin is mentioned anywhere else. Talk about living in your brother's shadow. Apparently he had a twin, but, no, but hey, do some research. If, there, if it mentions his twin, would you let me know? Not right now. Some of you Don't Google it right now. Some of you, oh, I'm going to pull out my phone. Not right now, but I don't think it ever mentions it. But to Thomas, also known as Didymus, that means twin, he said to the rest of the disciples let us also go that we may die with him i love that it cracks me up let's go you talk about cynical i mean he was obviously loyal right he was obviously brave he was willing to die with jesus but what i what we see in this let us go so that we can die with him thomas apparently was a little bit of a cynic wasn't he he was a little bit of a pessimist a little bit of a glass Half empty kind of a guy. And so we need to understand that about his personality because, again, I think that gives us a little bit of insight in the post resurrection story. So keep that in mind. I think Thomas was a little bit of a cynic by nature. So then we jump ahead, John chapter 20. Jesus has already appeared to the rest of the disciples. When Thomas wasn't there, maybe he was off hanging out with his twin, I don't know. But Thomas wasn't there. Uh, with the disciples when Jesus came so the other disciples told him we've seen the Lord but he said to them unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand into his side I will not believe a week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them though the doors were locked Jesus came and he stood among them and he said peace be with you And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting, he says, and believe. And Thomas said to him, say it with me, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So I want to just look, I want to make a few observations about this and and then uh, we'll kind of wrap it up with a final thought. But um, the first observation is I really think that we're harder on Thomas than Jesus was. I do. I mean, we, we've got, you know, Jesus didn't tell him here. He didn't say, Thomas, henceforth, you shall be called Doubting Thomas. Jesus didn't give him that nickname. We did. And as I was thinking about that, you know, Peter, at one point in Jesus' arrest, Peter denies even knowing Jesus. Like, to me, that's worse than what, than what Thomas does here. And we don't call Peter denying Peter, do we? Take out your Bibles. We're going to talk about denying Peter today, that horrible, awful person. We don't do that. But for some reason, we call we called Thomas doubting Thomas. But did you notice Jesus doesn't condemn him in this passage? He doesn't condemn him for his doubt. He doesn't, he doesn't heap shame on him for having these doubts, In fact, Jesus actually gives him the evidence that he's asking for. He gives him the evidence. He's, Thomas, here you go. You said you wanted to see the scars. You wanted to touch the scars. Here you go. Here's the evidence you asked for. Then he says, stop doubting and believe. But first he he gives him that evidence. So can we maybe cut Thomas a little slack here? Can we maybe cut him a little bit of slack? We're, we're harder on him than Jesus is. But our second observation, do you notice it doesn't, doesn't say that Thomas actually touched the scars? You know, there's paintings out there with, with like Thomas touching, you know, putting his, his finger in the, in the scars in Jesus' hand or in his side where they stabbed him. But it doesn't, really, it doesn't tell us that he touched the scars. Now, it doesn't say that he didn't. And because it doesn't say that he did and doesn't say that he didn't, I I think that leaves us some room to kind of use our imagination as to how this scene played out. And in my mind, what, what I picture is Thomas seeing Jesus in front of him, seeing these scars, seeing that it's really him. And thinking to himself, I don't need to touch the scars. You're right in front of me, Jesus. And I believe but however that played out whatever was going through his mind whether he touched him or not the only words he can utter the only thing he can muster is simply to say my lord and my god that's it that's all he can say my lord and my god you know some scholars suggest that this statement is the is the whole climax of John's gospel because John was all about the deity of Jesus. In fact, the very first verse at the very beginning of John's gospel says in the beginning was the word. That's that's symbolism for Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word w- what was God. He was with God in the beginning, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. So so John starts off right right off the bat talking about the deity of Jesus, and then he spends the rest of the gospel emphasizing the deity of Jesus, and then we get to Thomas, horrible, awful, doubting Thomas, that horrible guy that we look at as how not to be, Thomas, that Thomas, makes this crystal clear confession of the deity of Jesus. My Lord and my God. So, I don't know if Thomas touched the scars or not. Personally, I don't think he needed to. Seeing Jesus was all he needed to make this confession My Lord, my God. In other words, I believe. You told me to stop doubting and believe. Okay, I believe, I'm not doubting anymore. You are my Lord and you are my God. And so our third observation then. Folks, there's room in the church for skeptics and cynics and doubters and question askers. Or maybe I should say there should be room in the church for skeptics and cynics and doubters and question askers think about it this way if jesus in his own circle his inner circle of 12 if in his inner circle of 12 he had room for somebody who's wired this way shouldn't we shouldn't we if you are wired like this can i tell you there's room for you in the church There is room for question askers. There's room for skeptics and cynics. In fact, I'll be honest with you a little bit of skepticism is actually a good thing because that keeps us from following any old clown down a bad theological road. So a little bit of skepticism is actually good. There is room for you in the church. And if you're not wired like this, can I just say, can we make room? For people who are? Can we make room for people who are? But if you are wired like this, I I do want to ask a favor. If you're one who wrestles with the big, deep, heavy questions and doubts, I do want to ask a favor. Don't expect simple, easy answers to all of those questions and doubts. And let's not give simple, easy answers when there aren't any. Sometimes there are. But folks, sometimes there's not. There are questions that we're not going to be able to answer on this side of heaven. There are doubts that that we're not going to be able to to, to completely, 100% resolve in our minds. And we have to be okay with that. At some point, we have to be okay with that. Remember, while Jesus didn't condemn Thomas for, for his doubts, he did at one point say, okay, stop doubting and believe. Right There does come a point where we got to make a decision. You can't just wrestle for the rest of your life with questions and doubts. At some point, you gotta set, you got you to make a decision. Am I going to believe? Am I going to believe in spite of my doubts and questions, or am I not? So, yes, at some point, we do have to make a decision. In fact, I, uh, I was raised in the church, raised in a Christian home, but end of, end of high school, early college, uh, I did some doubting and some questioning and some running from God. I, I wouldn't say I ever necessarily turned my back on my faith, but I was, I was thinking about it. And a big reason for that was all these deep, heavy questions and doubts I had in my head. If God is real, why does this happen? If God is real, why is this true? If Christianity is true, then explain this, right? Those are the kind of doubts and questions that I had in my head. And I remember I was sitting in a a philosophy class one time taught by a professor who hated Christianity and made no secret of it. But I remember sitting in that class one time and and, and it it occurred to me, "If if God's real, then that means he's infinite. That means without limitation. And if God is infinite, then it just makes sense that there are going to be things about him and things about his ways that my limited, finite, that's the opposite of, lim, of limitless, that's limited, there are things about him and his ways that my limited, finite mind are not going to be able to fully comprehend. And that was my stop doubting and believe moment. And there may be somebody here today, there may be somebody watching online, maybe this is your stop doubting and believe moment. Where today you say, you know what, I have have some questions, I have some doubts, but today's the day I'm gonna make my decision. And I'm gonna follow God in spite of those things. Because what I have found in in my life and, and, and in other people's lives is that when we bring our questions and our doubts to God, he does one of two things with them. Some of those doubts and questions, he answers. But then as we follow him, a lot of those doubts and questions just become not important to us anymore. You think about it, both of those things kind of happened to Thomas. Thomas said, let me see the scars. Let me touch the scars. Jesus said, here you go. He gave him the evidence. He answered those doubts. He answered those questions. But then Thomas, I think, Thomas said, okay, touching the scars, that's not important to me anymore. Because I can see you. I can see you're real and you're standing right in front of me. So what, what we're saying today, it's okay, to be, it's okay to be a little cynical, it's okay to be a skeptic, it's okay to be a question asker, but not all your questions are going to have answers. Which means at some point, just like Thomas, you've got to make the choice to believe or not to believe. Now, you might say, well, it was easier for Thomas because he had Jesus standing right in front of him. Well, yeah, that's why Jesus gives this promise, because you've seen me, you've believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know who he's talking about here? Us. He's talking about you, and he's talking about me, and he's talking about you watching online. Blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. I will say, though, it's not not like this is a completely blind faith that he calls us to. No, we don't have him physically standing in front of us, but we have God's word, and we have 50 generations of the church to build our faith on. And you know what? We have our own story. Even if you're here today or you're watching online, and you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Christ, you know what? You still have stories of how God has worked in your life. You just don't see it yet. And if you'll say like, Thomas, I believe, if you'll make that decision, then you will come to a point where you'll be able to look back before you made that decision and say, man, I didn't see it then, I didn't believe it then, but I can see right there, yeah, that God was, God was doing something there. Yeah, I can see there, oh, I remember that. That was God, I didn't even know it. Oh, yeah, right there. Our denomination, we call that provenient grace. It's the grace that comes before salvation. It's the grace of God that's at work in our life before we even know it. So we have scripture, we have the testimony of 50 generations of the church, and we have our own stories, which also means we don't have to have, like I said earlier, all the answers to the questions. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is John chapter 9. There's a guy who was born blind. Jesus heals him, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're all just grilling him because they're trying to discredit Jesus, and he finds this uneducated peasant outcast stands up to all these super highly educated uh, people, and he says, you know what? I can't answer all your questions. All I know, I was blind, and now I see. Sometimes that's the most powerful tool that we have, to talk to people about God. You know what? I wish I could answer all those questions. I wish I could, I could help you resolve all of those doubts. I don't know that I can, but I can tell you I know what God's done in my life. And I know he's worked in your life. And I know he wants to work even more in you. Well... Here's my question this morning. What if you chose to believe? What if you chose to take God at his word? And I'm not just talking to people who aren't following Jesus today. I'm not, I, I am talking to those who aren't following Jesus, whether you're in this room, whether you're watching online. Yes, I am talking to you. What if today you said, you know what, I have some questions, I have some doubts, I'm not sure about this. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring, I'm going to pray to God about those. I'm going to bring those to God. I'm going to choose to believe. I'm going to follow him. And let's see what happens to the questions and doubts. What if today you made that decision? But I'm not just talking to people who aren't following Christ right now. I'm also talking to those who have been following Christ for a long time. I'm talking to myself today. What if we really, really chose to believe the promises of God? Because sometimes we, we say we do and we'll amen those promises. Yes, I believe. But then I, th- I think about my own life and I think, man, some of the things I, I worry about, some of the things I think about, some of the things I do. Do I really believe these things that God's promised? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, that whoever believes, unless you have doubts and questions, no, it doesn't say that. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's a promise from God's word that's offered to anybody who will believe. What if he chose to believe in that promise of eternal life? My grace, it says in 2 Corinthians, my grace is all you need My power works best in weakness, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. My grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. That's a promise from God. Do you believe that? I mean, really believe that today, that his grace is enough no matter what you've done, no matter what sins you've committed, no matter how many sins you've committed. Do you believe his grace is enough? He says at the end of Matthew, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What if you chose to believe right now that God is with you, walking with you through whatever stuff you're walking through right now? I mean, really chose to believe that. Would that change how you approach the situation? Would that change how you think about the situation? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? I'm convinced that our culture is full of people, maybe even some here today, maybe some watching online, people who think God's out to get me. God's against me. Can I tell you today, on the authority of God's word, God is not against you. He is not against you. He is not against you, you watching online. He is for you. What would that change? If you really internalize that and really believe that. Last one. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation except your questions and doubts. Oh, wait, no, that's not there either. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know today, do you know God loves you? And nothing will ever change that. You will never perform so well that he'll love you more. And you'll never mess up so bad that he'll love you less. He loves you. And nothing will change that. If you really believe that, what would that change? Because as I think about, you know, especially those of us who've been been in the church for a long time, if we truly internalized and really, really believed these things, would would it change how much we worry about things? Would it change how fearful we are sometimes. Would we show people more grace? Would we show ourselves more grace? Because I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I, I, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I know all this stuff. I believe all this stuff. Well, me too. But does anybody ever forget it? Do you ever kind of forget for a moment that God is on the throne of the universe? Do you ever forget for a moment that he loves you? He's got this. He's got you. I do. So maybe today is a day. I ask our band to to come. Uh, Maybe today is a day for you to say, um, you know what? I've got some doubts and questions over here, but I'm going to believe in spite of those. Instead of of hiding those in shame, I'm gonna bring those doubts and those questions to God and see what he does with them. And I'm gonna believe. Maybe maybe today's that day for you. Or maybe, and I'm guessing this would be the case for most of us, maybe today is simply a day for you to reaffirm that he is your Lord and your God. That you believe in him that you believe in his power, that you believe in his love, that you believe in his faithfulness, maybe today is a day for you to just reaffirm that. Say, God, I believe you are my Lord, which means I'm surrendered to you, and you are my God. And I'm going to give you thanks today. Would you stand with us? However you need to respond to this today, if you want to come to the altar and pray, uh, feel free. If you'd like me to pray with you, I'll be right here. Maybe you just want to sing these songs today and say, God, I give you praise and I worship you and I acknowledge you are my Lord and my God. Thank you for this reminder today. Respond to this however you need to respond today.